Hello and welcome to Gloucester Vineyard Church's weekly podcast. We're creating a community that brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this message. This week, in our journey through Matthew's biography of Jesus' life, we are joined by our friend Kath Brayford, who is the lead pastor of Herald Vineyard in Liverpool. Kath unpacks chapters 14 to 16, where Jesus asks his apprentices the crucial question, who do you say I am? And encourages us to answer the same question from Jesus today. You can catch up with any of the Matthew series by downloading the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. What an absolute privilege it is to get to be with you in Gloucester this morning by the wonders of technology. Um, Before I say another word, I just want to apologise for the bedroom background this morning. I normally try and do something nice with some books, you know, that make me look clever or something like that, that just is a bit of a warmer background. Um, But my husband, Jamie and I, we are, um, we have a little girl called Emily. She's just gone 10 months old and we are well and truly making the most of our support bubble this week um, with Jamie's folks. So we are holed up with them at their house this week. So I've I've hidden away in um, a childhood bedroom in their house. So I do apologise that I'm... Uh, I've got a bedroom behind me. Um, But let me say a bit more about myself. I'm Kath, as I said, married to Jamie. And we have our little girl, Emily, um, who is a lockdown baby born this year. So that's made for quite an interesting year for us on top of everything else. Um, We're from London originally. Jamie's from the north. I'm from the south. And we met right in the middle in King's Cross. Um, We spent a number of years uh, there together. And then just a few years ago now, we moved um, down to your neck of the woods, actually, the southwest. We moved to Bath, um, where we were training to church plant and we were studying theology at Trinity College in Bristol at the same time. Um, And during that time, we had the privilege of getting to meet Daniel and Emily because we attended church planting school together. Um, And I immediately wanted to be friends with these guys. Um, I think actually Daniel wasn't there the first time, it was Emily. Um, But as soon as she opened her mouth, I was like, I want to be friends with you. Um, And it's been such a pleasure to be on this sort of church planting adventure together at the same sort of time. So whilst those guys were getting ready to plant in Gloucester, we were getting ready to plant in Liverpool, which is where we are now based. And we're just coming up to three years in. We planted Herald Vineyard in Liverpool, um, the greatest city on earth. We love it there so, so much. If you ever want to visit, you are very, very welcome um, when we're allowed. Anyway, um, it was a real joy to get to go on some of that church planting journey um, with those guys. We continue to do that often, phoning each other up to pick each other's brains about various different bits and bobs. Um, And I just want to say, which what I'm sure you will know already about Daniel and Emily, um, which is those guys are just the real deal. Um, The reason I wanted to be friends with them straight away um, is because of that. I just thought, do you know what? These guys are the real deal. And I think for two reasons. Number one, um, they don't take themselves too seriously in the best sort of way. I don't mean in a like lacking confidence way, but just they have the most amazing ability to laugh at themselves, to not take things too seriously, to keep things lighthearted, to play games, to always create fun and laughter wherever they go. I think Emily had me crying with laughter um, the first meal I ever shared with her, um, which is just testament to what those guys are like. They just bring joy and life wherever they go. So super down to earth, real about the highs and lows of life. Um, just phenomenal in that way of sort of not taking themselves too seriously. But at the same time, 
they take Jesus really seriously. Um, they want to give up their whole lives in order to serve him, to follow after what they believe he is doing and wants to do in Gloucester. Um, and just are full of faith as well about what is possible when we know Jesus and the sort of life that he can lead us into. Um, and I'm not just saying this because this is the sort of thing you have to do when you speak at someone else's church. Um, I'm saying it because I genuinely mean it. These guys are the real deal. And if I was in Gloucester searching out a church I, and I found those guys, I'd be like, I've absolutely hit the jackpot here so yeah want to commend them to you to, for your encouragement as well do encourage them um because they are just people 100% worth following anyway without further ado let me look at my notes for a second um and see what I'm supposed to be saying to you this morning um so uh Daniel and Emily really kindly invited me to come and jump in as part of your series that you've been doing looking through the gospel of Matthew and I want to say it's been such a joy for me um, it's actually quite rare that I read such long chunks of um, the Bible in a go, um, but I've absolutely loved that. Um, so we've been on, we're on chapter 14 to 16 uh, this week, and I've absolutely loved just looking at that whole big meaty chunk um, as a whole, because I think sometimes when you see these meaty chunks as a whole, these greater themes start to emerge that you miss sometimes when you're just reading a few verses at a time. So it's been a real joy for me to get stuck into that over the last week or so. These chapters in Matthew's Gospel um, centre around these questions of identity, who Jesus is, Jesus's identity. Um, and actually, there are also real moments we see of mistaken identity in there. And, and what I want to do with the time that we've got left together this morning is to take you through. We can't read all chapters again today because it would just take us forever. But um, I want to take you through a few snapshots that we see in Matthew's Gospel and what they have to tell us about Jesus's identity. So snapshot number one is found in chapter 14 and Jesus has just received some tragic news that one of his dearest friends John the Baptist has been executed and so Jesus takes himself off he goes away in a boat to get away by himself and we're told that he heads off to the middle of nowhere Matthew actually uses this word eremos which literally means desert Jesus takes himself off into the desert or more figuratively speaking a deserted place but by now word has got out about Jesus that there's something different about him and so crowds of people follow after him on foot and they catch up with him where he's gone in this boat to this desert this deserted place and when Jesus sees that they're catching up with him he takes compassion on them he puts on pause his plans to go and retreat and have time alone and he sets about healing all the sick among them among the crowd and before he knows it, the light in the sky is beginning to fade. The day is coming to an end. And Jesus' apprentices who have been following him and learning from him say to Jesus, look, it's probably best now that you send these people home because it's getting late. And people are a long way from home and nobody likes a hangry crowd. That's not going to go down well for anyone. But Jesus instead says to them, no, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. And so his apprentices started frantically looking around them to see if they can club together the food that they've brought with them. And, and they gather it all together and they realise they've got enough for like a Spartan picnic at best. Um, but Jesus says, bring the food to me. And he starts to get everyone, the whole crowd, to sit down on the ground. And then he thanks God for the food and he begins to uh, divide it into pieces, a few loaves and a few fishes. And um, a few fishes or fish? few fish um, and he hands them out to his apprentices and he tells them to start distributing it among the crowd and as they do as they begin distributing it they realize that the food just keeps on going and going and going and there is enough and more than enough 
actually to go around every single person there. And they reckon the total was like 5,000 men plus, and that's not even including women and children. Um, and so much so that the apprentices have to go around and collect up the leftovers at the end. Now we read that and we think, cool story. It's a miracle. And it is a miracle. But for Matthew, who is writing this stuff down, there is much, much more going on in his mind because he is writing this particular gospel account of Jesus's life, death and resurrection. He is writing this primarily for a Jewish audience. That's who the audience he's got in mind when he's writing. And he knows this, that when a Jewish audience hear about bread miraculously appearing in a desert, they are thinking of one thing and one thing only. They are immediately reminded of a key moment in their nation's history. When as a nation, the nation of Israel, they were liberated from slavery in Egypt and they were led into the desert by a guy called Moses. And Moses was a guy that God had commissioned to lead them towards a promised land where they could resettle and they could live once more in peace and in prosperity. But on the way to that promised land, in this desert, they have grown tired from the journey, they're weary and they're hungry. Um, and these guys are seriously hangry. I think my hanger is bad. Their hanger is seriously, seriously bad. They start saying, we were better off as slaves because at least then we had plenty to eat. They start harking back to the good old days of Egypt. And so God says to Moses, look, I want you to tell them this. I am going to rain down bread from heaven every single day, just enough so they have enough to eat for every single day. And every morning there will be fresh bread for them. It's miraculous stuff. And just as God says, that's how it happens. The next day at dawn, this weird bread stuff uh, appears on the ground just after the first dew of the morning. And they call it manna, which literally means, what is it? And it's this truly miraculous moment in Israel's story of God's provision for them and God's care for them as a nation. So fast forward back to this moment in Matthew with Jesus. Matthew's writing down this story about Jesus providing bread in the desert for hungry people. And Jewish readers reading this, like alarm bells are going off for them everywhere, thinking, hey, hang on. God is the one who provides bread in the desert. Now, a little bit more backstory here. Before Jesus arrived on the scene, Israel were in a real mess. The nation of Israel were in a real mess. They had messed up on their calling as a nation to be the means by which God wanted to extend his blessing to the whole world. That was always the call, that he would bless Israel and they were to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And they, but Israel had totally messed this up. They got themselves in a total pickle and they were longing for a time when God would intervene himself and who would send them a leader, perhaps a bit like Moses who had gone before or um, other key prophets like Elijah or the King David, or some other great hero of the faith who they prospered under before. Except this time they believed that this leader that God would send, this Messiah or Christ they called him, literally means anointed one, they believed that this leader, this Messiah would truly lead them as a nation into the life that they were made for and that this Messiah would do that once and for all. This would be like the leader to end all leaders. But with that, they had this saying that at the time the Messiah came, there would be a return of manna, of this bread from heaven. So again, fast forward back to Matthew. Yes, it is a cool story, but it is more than that. This is Matthew saying, could this Jesus be the one we are waiting for? Could this Jesus be the Messiah? That's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two, 
everyone has finished eating, it's getting late and Jesus realises he never did get that time that he wanted to take away to pray and to be with the Father. So he says to his disciples, I tell you what, you go on ahead of me, you prepare the boat, get in the boat and get going um, and I'll catch up with you later. I'll deal with the crowds and I'll come and catch up with you later. So the disciples head off, they get into the boat, um, but the weather is pretty dicey and we read that the winds sort of push them out in the boat away from the shore and they're getting a bit tossed and turned around in the boat um, and just as they're sort of getting beaten up by the waves a bit Jesus appears to them walking on the water trampling the waves walking on the water towards them and immediately for the disciples it's a case of mistaken identity and they start screaming it's a ghost it's a ghost um, to which Jesus responds simply saying take courage it is I now again we might read that and think cool story Jesus walks on water it's a miracle and it is a miracle but again for Matthew writing this story down there is so much more going on than that too because Matthew knows that for a Jewish audience reading this story that when they think about the sea they do not think about a lovely relaxing beach holiday somewhere that is what I think of when I think of the sea no they associate the sea with chaos that's why actually you get these bonkers moments in the Old Testament where you see these like giant sea creatures and um, because they're supposed to represent chaos, chaos monsters they're called, because they're supposed to represent the chaos that the Jewish people associated with the sea. But in the opening pages of the Bible, we see this picture of God creating the world. And as he does, he tames the sea. He brings order out of chaos and he tames the sea. And that's not the only time that God exercises power over the sea. When the Israelites are fleeing Egypt, slavery in Egypt, we talked about that before, they find themselves at this moment where they are at the foot of the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army are coming after them in hot pursuit and they're following behind them. And But they're trapped. The Red Sea is in front of them and they've got no idea how they're going to cross it. But God commands Moses to take his staff to strike the waters. And as he does, the waters part and it's they stand up like walls. The water stands up like walls like this and the nation of Israel begin to pass through completely unharmed by the sea. Psalm 104 puts it like this, at your rebuke Lord the waters fled. So back to Matthew, Matthew's audience reading that Jesus is trampling the waves under his feet are thinking one thing right now, hang on, only God has power over the sea. And Matthew doesn't stop there as if to rub the point in. In his telling of the story, when the disciples have that mistaken case of identity, they mistake Jesus for a ghost. Jesus responds saying, take courage, it is I. Or literally in the Greek, he says, take courage, ego eimi, which means take courage, I am. Now, again, that might be slightly lost on us. But for the Jewish readers, they are turning to each other at this point and saying, wait a minute. Did he just say what I think he said? Did he just say I am? Did he just say I am. They're thinking Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, because in Exodus chapter 3, right before this same story where Moses leads the Jewish people out of slavery from Egypt, Moses, who's been commissioned for this task by God, is completely bricking it. He's terrified and he says to God, look, I've got two questions for you, God. Firstly, who am I that you've asked me to do this? But secondly, and more importantly, perhaps, who are you? When the Jewish people ask me who sent who sent me to you? Who should I say? What, what's your name? And God replies like this. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. 
So fast forward back to this moment with the disciples in the boat. They see this figure walking towards them. They think it's a ghost. Then as Jesus comes fully into view, they hear him saying the most loaded of phrases. Take courage. I am. I am. It's like a mic drop moment. Matthew is asking his readers, could it be? that the same God who tamed the sea at creation, the same God who caused the Red Sea to part down the middle, the same I am is somehow, just somehow in some way present in this same man walking towards his apprentices on the water. That's snapshot num number two. Final snapshot, and this comes in chapter 16 in this moment that brings everything to a head. When Jesus asks his apprentices, who do people say that I am? And they respond to him and they say things like, well, some people think you're like John the Baptist or like Elijah or um, other prophets or heroes of the faith. And then Jesus goes for the jugular. He goes for a gut punch and he looks them straight in the eyes and says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And in this moment, it's like Simon Peter's finest moment. He nails it. And he puts words to everything that Matthew has been trying to highlight over these past few chapters. And he says this, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In other words, Jesus, you are the fulfillment of God's promise to somehow intervene personally and to step into Israel's story. You are the leader we've been longing for to lead us into life once more. You are the one we've been waiting for. Simon Peter saw that in Jesus, God himself had come to their rescue. He totally gets it. And in response, Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus's response tells us this, that when we settle that question for ourselves of who Jesus is, he then settles in us who we truly are and what it is that we were made for. And as we come into land this morning, I felt there were two groups of people that God wanted to speak to through this chunk of Matthew that we've been looking at. The first group of you are those of you who have been following Jesus for a while now. Um, but lately, and this might be a lockdown thing, it's like your gaze, your vision has turned inwards. You've been thinking about your own life a lot, perhaps um, what it is that you're supposed to do with your life. Um, and yeah, and in particular, I felt like some of you were even thinking about your job, your vocation, what you currently do with your days. Um, but it's been this real sort of inward in moment of introspection. But the encouragement today is that counter to the, all the cultural narratives that surround us at the moment, counter to that, life, meaning and purpose is not found by looking within. Life, meaning and purpose are found by looking at Jesus, by seeing him for who he really is. You know, just like Peter, when we see Jesus for who he truly is, we then find out who we really are and what it is that we were made for. The great African theologian, St. Augustine, used to put it like this. Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And if that strikes a chord with you, if you've been experiencing something of a restlessness, maybe even questions churning about who you are, what it is that you're supposed to be doing with your life, that sort of stuff. If you've been experiencing that restlessness, 
one of the best things I believe you can do is to lift your eyes again to Jesus. And one of the simplest ways that you can do that is by worshipping him. Um, even, you know, taking time out to sing songs of worship to him, because worship has the most remarkable way of lifting our gaze again and reordering our heart, our desires, our loves, our purposes around the person of Jesus. But the second group of people I felt was that there might be a bunch of you who have been coming along to Gloucester Vineyard for a while, but you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you've been attracted by um, the sense of community that seems to be um, central to the church or by the joy that you found there or the kindness in people that you've encountered. Um, but you're not sure what to think about Jesus himself. Maybe you can get on board with this idea that he was a wise man, a good teacher, um, had some good things to say, but you're not sure about this idea of him being somehow more than a man. But that is the Christian claim, that in the person of Jesus, the God of the universe took on human flesh and stepped in to rescue a lost and broken humanity, restoring them to what they were made for, for God and for each other. And that is what holds all that other stuff together that you're attracted to, that sense of community, the joy, the peace, the kindness that comes from those within it. The famous author C.S. Lewis used to say this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of the hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. C.S. Lewis is right. He didn't intend to leave that option open to us. And as we read these chapters of Matthew, chapters 14 to 16, we hear Jesus's voice calling out to us too, just as he did to those first disciples. What about you? Who do you say I am? So I want to create a moment now to pray before we close. And um, you might be praying this prayer for the very first time to say, yes, you know, I don't have everything figured out, but there's something compelling about the person of Jesus. And all of this that I'm reading, it has the ring of truth about it to me. And I want to say yes to him for the first time today. Or you might be in that camp where you just know you've been following Jesus for a while, but you've taken your eyes off him. You've been looking inwards and it's time to lift your eyes to see him for who he is again and from there to have everything find its right place in your life once more. So I'm going to say a prayer now for both of those groups and I just invite you to echo that prayer in your own heart. So Jesus, we confess that we so often don't see you for who you truly are. But we want to say, Lord, to the best of our ability this morning, whether we are saying this for the first time or for the hundredth time, we want to say, Jesus, we believe that life is found in you. We believe, Jesus, that if we've seen you, we've seen God. And we are asking, Jesus, that you would lead us into that fullness of life that you came to bring.
And for those who are just saying yes to Jesus for the first time, that's all you need to say. Say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I've seen a bit and I like what I see. And I want more of you in my life. And for those who know, you just need to look at Jesus again. We pray, Lord Jesus, would you help us lift our eyes again? See you afresh, catch a glimpse of you afresh. And as we do so, Lord, would you secure us in who you say we are and what you've made us for? And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep you. What a joy to be with you. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and that you found it helpful. If you've enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All the details you need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org.